0: In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book. With 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color.
1: Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.
0: This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Raw Deal. Three uh, major developments in the Middle East are great sources of cause for concern. I worry that war is about to break out. We know there are other trouble spots, such as Ukraine, but this appears to be the hottest spot in the world. Uh, the Korean Peninsula seems to have settled down with a joint team from the United, the two Koreas participating in the Winter Olympics, which if you're missing it, you're denying yourself a real treat. The Women's and pair skating is absolutely sensational, and there are many other events, including the luge and uh, some downhill skiing that are spectacular as well. Turning to the hot spots, major escalation. Israel carries out large-scale attack on Syria after Israeli F-16 shot down. This is a report from Saturday. Update. According to Al-Mansur, the Israeli pilot whose warplane was shot down by Syrian air defense forces on Saturday morning, it has died from injuries sustained during the engagement. While according to initial reports, both crew members ejected the weapons operating with light injuries, the pilot was severe. According to subsequent still unconfirmed reports, the Israeli pilot with serious injuries has died in the hospital. No f- further details were given according to Al-Mansur. Uh, to me, uh, while it's being denied by the Times of Israel, that seems to me a typical Israeli you know, move, just to counter the idea that an Israeli, number one, that an Israeli jet was shot down, and number two, that the Israeli pilot could have been killed. That's, a, that's information that the Israelis wouldn't want to share with the world. As reported, Earlier, a major battle broke out on Saturday between the Israeli Air Force and Syrian Air Defense Force over the occupied Golan region, South Lebanon, and the West Damascus region. During the confrontation, which lasted hours, Israeli warplanes and Syrian anti-aircraft systems traded missile fire. Literally dozens of such munitions were fired as the latter launched a general attack against Iranian and regime bases west of Damascus. And in a major escalation, when it has the potential to escalate to an all-out war, at the beginning of the battle, a Syrian-serviced air missile downed an Israeli F-16 fighter jet over occupied Gulan Heights, described as northern Israel by Israeli forces. I mean, this is how disgusting it is where they continue to encroach on Palestinian lands where... 95% of the lands originally occupied by Israel have been taken over, occupied by Israel, completely in violation of international law. But the Israelis could care less. They thumbed their nose at the world every opportunity they get. Israeli warplane down by Russian made anti aircraft missile. Uh, Israeli Air Force chief uh, Tomer Bar reveals F16 intercepted following strike in Syria was likely shot down by a barrage of surface air missiles shot by Syrian armed forces and made supplied by Russia mission according to him a complete operational success despite the downing of the plane uh, in my opinion uh, this is going to happen a whole lot more the russians have provided the syrians with uh, some of the best uh, anti-aircraft missiles in the world, and I expect to see many more planes shot down, whether those are Israeli or U.S. or other. The second hot spot is Turkey struggling with a rising toll in its Afrin invasion. Saturday marked the deadliest day for Turkey's troops since the war. Several weeks into Turkey's invasion of northern Syria's Afrin district. The push into the Kurdish-held territory is struggling with heavy resistance and mounting casualties, among not just Turkey's FSA allies but Turkey's own military. Turkey Saturday was the deadliest day with 11 Turkish troops killed. Another soldier was killed on Sunday, bringing the total toll to the operation to January 20th to 31 killed. Turkey appeared to expect a quick overrun of Afrin and Manbij before pushing into the more heavily defended YPG territory to the east. But rough terrain and Kurdish mobilization of locals to defend their territory has kept Turkey from making major ground advances. Turkey has intensely cracked down on opposition to the war domestically, but if they start sustaining mounting casualties, it's going to be difficult for its president to keep the public quiet about the offensive. Erwin's offensive uh, in Syria runs into problems, mountains, and mud. A, 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 a Turkish offensive against Kurdish fighters is bogged down in the mountains, and mud of northern Syria's troops encountered an adversary well accustomed to the terrain. The Turkish military lost its advantage in the skies over the border area for much of this past week after Russian forces restricted access to the airspace according to a Western diplomat, Syrian rebels backed by the Turks. Without air cover, the lightly armed Syrian rebels who are doing most of the fighting in the three-week-old Turkish offensive have found it hard to advance. Syrian government quietly backing Kurds against Turkey, antiwar.com. Turkey's invasion of Syria's Afrin district has mostly been about Turkey fighting against the Kurdish YPG, and also the possibility of a fight between Turkey and the U.S. Somehow the Syrian government was forgotten in all of this. But they were watching the invasion and quietly sending to support to the YPG, reflecting the obvious mutual interest in keeping Turkey from expanding its presence in Syria. Turkey, after all, has long since ended its historic ties to Syria's government and has been giving all territory it seizes to Syrian rebel factions. The YPG controls some 25% of Syria. And Syria clearly doesn't want all that falling to the rebels. This puts both Syria and the U.S. in a tough situation, which are both allied with the Kurds, but both severely at odds with one another with Syria, saying U.S. troops are unwelcome. And the U.S. coming off killing over 100 pro-government fighters last week. More about that. Mattis dismisses fear of wider war after massive Syria's triumph. Uh, officials expressed concern about U.S. stumbling into another war. Pentagon officials and Secretary of Defense James Mattis in particular downplayed the seriousness of a series of U.S. attacks that killed in excess of 100 Syrian pro-government forces on Wednesday. Congressional officials, including Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia, who of course was Hillary Clinton's running mate, expressed concern that the massive attack amounted the U.S. military stumbling into yet another military conflict, this time with the Syrian government and its allies. Mattis rejected this, saying the killing were a simple self-defense for an alleged Syrian attack that was half a kilometer away from a base U.S. troops were located. He said Congress would know if the U.S. were in a new conflict because they'd attack first, not respond. Yet Pentagon officials have made it clear in recent words That the goal in Syria is to keep their troops there indefinitely. And with ISIS defeated, the goal is transition to the imposition of a regime change against the Assad government and fighting against Iranian forces that remain in Syria. Which course was the objective from the beginning? Russians reported killed in U.S. strike in Syria. Multiple reports indicate that Russian military contractors were among the dead in air and artillery strikes launched Wednesday by the U.S. military in southeastern Syrian province. Uh, uh, Adir is against forces loyal to the government of President Bashar al-Assad, who, by the way, in case anyone missed the memo, is a democratically elected president of Syria. So any pretense that we're there to promote freedom and democracy is complete and total rubbish. Typical classic U.S. propaganda lying out of both sides of our mouth at the same time. It's disgusting. The world's caught on. Only the American public continue to be deceived by this masquerade. The Pentagon unleashed devastating firepower against the pro-government fighters on the pretext they were mounting an attack against the headquarters of the Syrian Democratic Forces. The U.S. proxy ground force that is dominated by the Syrian Kurdish YPG militia U.S. Special Force troops directing the activities of the Kurdish proxies were stationed at the headquarters in the zone of influence carved out by the U.S. intervention in Deir Ezzor, northeast of the Euphrates. Bombs and missiles were rained down upon the force, which reportedly included between 300 and 500 infantry backed by tanks and artillery. U.S. F-15 fighter jets, Apache helicopters, AC-130 gunships, and unmanned drones were all called in to, the attack, to attack the force, along with U.S. artillery units. According to Pentagon sources, a 100 of the Syrian forters, force fighters were killed in the barrage. The Syrian government reported dozens killed in what it described as an unprovoked massacre and war crime. Iran's Tasnev news agency quoted Syrian sources as reporting that several Russian military advisors were killed in the attack which took place in the Kasham gas field in eastern Deir Ezzor. Mattis Tillerson, National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster, are now all scheduled to arrive in Turkey next week. That's this week, of course, for urgent talks with the government of President Erdogan, who has denounced the U.S. plans as tantamount to creating a de facto Kurdish state on Turkey's border and has vowed to extend the Turkish offensive eastward to the town of Manjib, which is currently occupied by the YPG along with its U.S. Special Forces handlers. This raises the prospect of an armed confrontation between the two ostensible NATO allies. The British Independence veteran Middle East correspondent Patrick Cockburn, citing sources in the region, reported this week that militia forces are fighting alongside the Turkish army in the offense in Afrin and have been drawn almost exclusively from former ISIS fighters who have been rebranded as the Free Syrian Army. This is how corrupt the United States has become. Washington, undoubtedly aware of this fact, has made no move to interfere with the Turkish operation. Uh, In Afrin's laws, it does not continue eastward into U.S. occupied territory. There's ample evidence the Pentagon has made its own use of the former ISIS fighters, thousands of whom were evacuated, along with their arms and ammunition from Raqqa and other cities besieged by the U.S. and its proxies in order to redeploy them against Syrian government forces. Both Washington and the French government of President Emmanuel Macron have issued protests and threats over civilian casualties caused by Syrian government and Russian airstrikes against areas of Idlib province in eastern Ghouta, outside of Damascus that are controlled by al-Qaeda-linked militias. Duly echoed by corporate media, these protests are utterly hypocritical given the slaughter of tens of thousands carried out by the U.S. itself in cities of Iraq and Syria and Mosul in Iraq. Unsubstantiated claims from Washington and Paris that the Syrian government with Russian support has carried out attacks using chlorine against the civilian population are being used to create conditions for a fresh military intervention against the Syrian government. Remember, the Syrian government gave up its capacity to develop chemical weapons way back when in relation to another of these completely phony and contrived gas attacks. You'd think that the CIA would come up with a new slogan, a new method, a new idea here, but they, they, they can't do it. Here we have a latest report from today that more than 200 contract soldiers, mostly Russians, fighting on behalf of Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad, died in a failed attack on a base held by U.S. and mainly Kurdish forces in the oil-rich Ezor region. Two of the Russians said the official put the death toll in the fight, about 100 with two of the 300 injured, unable to say how many were Russian. So we have these uh, Russian Middle East flashpoints that have increased. We have a Turkish helicopter shot down by the Kurds in the a- Afrin. We have Russian contract soldiers killed in an attack on a base held by U.S. and U.S. mass forces not far from Raqqa. We have Israeli F-16 Destroyed by what they claim was an uh, 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 re, uh, Israeli F 16, is destroyed what they claim was an Iranian drone control center, but that appears to have been a gratuitous attack. An F uh, 16, that would be near Pal, Palmyra. An Israeli F 16 came crashing down after being hit by a missile near Hardiff in the Golan Heights region. So stand by, more to come. The open war with Iran has begun. This is a very significant piece. The shadow war between Israel and Iran has been going on for years, bringing us closer and closer to today's events and what is to come. On Monday, Hezbollah will mark the 10th anniversary of the death of uh, Imran Mugaye, its legendary and ruthless military commander, whose absence, according to military Israeli intelligence, is still felt today. But listen to what they attribute to this guy. The mastermind of the bombing of the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut in 1983. But that was undoubtedly a Mossad operation. The attacks on the Israeli embassy in 1992 and Jewish Community Center in 1994 in Buenos Aires. Well, I published on this before with uh, Adrian Salbucci. Uh, false flag attacks in Argentina in 1992 and 1994. The Israelis blew up their own embassy in 1992, killed about two dozen, blamed it on Iran, which had nothing to do with it. That didn't draw enough international attention, so they blew up their own Jewish community center in 1994, murdering around 84, uh, all in uh, apparent retaliation for Argentina's the cooperation with Iran in the peaceful development of nuclear energy, which is perfectly legitimate. This is all uh, completely outrageous, but typical of Israeli false flag ops. Uh, 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 here's a, I've, I've published about with Adrian Salbucci. You can find it on VoltaireNet.org. Uh, we go into it in considerable detail. Uh, typical of, of Israeli ops. This was long in the making. Years ago, the Iranians came to the rescue of Bashir Assad and Syria together with Russia, ensured his survival. The problem is they haven't left. On the contrary, even though Assad is today in control of the majority of Syria, Iran is staying put and trying to establish an even greater presence within the country. On Saturday, we just saw how determined it is to do just that. Too early to tell what lesson Iran has learned from the clash on Sunday. On the one hand, it succeeded in infiltrating a drone into Israel, even though it was ultimately intercepted. Its ally, Syria, succeeded in shooting down an Israeli fighter jet. On the other hand, Israel carried out its most widespread bombings in Syria since it destroyed almost all of Syria's air defenses in 1992. This has to end. Uh, Israel cannot be allowed to enter Syrian airspace. Israel's retaliation was important for two reasons. It needed to neutralize the Syrian batteries that were used to down the F 16, but also to exact a price from Iran by bombing the control center used to operate the drone as well as other targets in Syria, where, you know, Iran has denied it, 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 it ran such a drone. I, mean, I expect it's, it didn't run such a drone. This is just a phony baloney story made up by Israel. The question will be whether Israel succeeded in boosting its deterrence. That depends on what Iran decides to do next. Will it keep on building its presence in Syria? Will it attempt another violation of Israel's sovereignty down the road? While the downing of a fighter jet is a heavy blow to Israel's morale, it was not totally unexpected and needs to be viewed through the wider context of what has been going on for the last five years. Israel has carried out more than 100 strikes in Syria, and in war, there are always wins and losses. The fact a plane had not been shot down until now is the real story. speaks volumes about the IAF, superior capability. Finally, Israel needs to be concerned by Russia's response to the events on Saturday, which is, this article, by the way, is from Times of Israel, which is why it is so important. Listen to this. In Moscow, the foreign ministry issued a statement calling for restraint for all sides to respect the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Syria. On the surface, it seems as though Russia is taking Iran and Syria's side and not Israel's, despite Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's best efforts to win over Vladimir Putin and his countless meetings with the Russian president. Beyond the ministry's statements, Rhetorical significance, it could have practical consequences if Russia decides to deny Israel operational freedom over Syria in the future, which is what I predict is going to take place. Israel will have to tread carefully and will not have a lot of choice but to accept Moscow's directives. While Russia has allowed Iran to establish a president in Syria, it has until now prevented it from setting up large bases or a presence right along the border with Israel on the Golan Heights. That could all still happen and will depend on what Russia's interests will be when it comes to the future of Syria and the wider Middle East. Well, have no doubt whatsoever, Russia is not going to allow Bashar Assad to fall or Syria to crumble. Washington says, Israel-Syria border incident in and calculated escalation. Here we find lies coming from Washington, D.C., as well as from Tel Aviv. The United States considers the latest incident on the Israeli-Syrian border to be Iran's calculated escalation of tension, which is just complete poppycock. Israel, preparing for war in the north, most of our defenses warn Iran. A day after the most significant escalation in tensions between Israel-Syria-Iran when an Israeli F-16 was shot down over the Golan Heights, uh, Israel appears to be preparing for war in the north, according to the Jerusalem Pope's. Which reports that the Jewish state had boosted its air defense in the region along the Syrian border uh, following the significant contra- con- confrontation between the Jewish state, Syria, and Iran. Witnesses cited by the Jerusalem Post reported seeing a convoy of missile defense batteries heading north near the Israeli Arab city of Baka al Charbaya. Other witnesses posted photos of several trucks carrying the batteries on central highways in northern Iraq. Uh, Israel's air defenses currently include the Iron Dome designed to shoot down short-range rockets but the reliability of which is completely uncertain additionally there's the Aero system intercepting ballistic missiles outside of Earth's atmosphere and the David Sling missile defense system designed to intercept tactical and missiles medium to long-range rockets and cruise missiles fired from ranges between 40 and 300 kilometers while several analysts said they don't expect further escalation in the coming days, some speak of the possibility of the Syrian war entering the new phrase, phase. While we have yet to see how oil trade will affect the tension-filled weekend, uh, Israel's stocks dropped as much as 1.3% after Israel and Iran moved closer to confrontation in Syria. Quoted by Bloomberg, Ilan Sharif, head of equity research at Israel's largest institutional investor, Pesag, uh, Pesagot Investment House said the drop in Israeli stock Sunday is mainly due to developments in the security arena over the weekend and that confrontation in Syria was irregular in a number of ways. While there is concern, of course, a further entanglement concern to some, uh, the international crisis group think tank said Syria has become more emboldened to try to stop Israeli strikes inside the country. Uh, while Israel wants to maintain its ability to operate there when it sees fit. Imagine that, a country, Syria, daring to defend its sovereignty. Still, optimists believe the latest escalation will remain constrained. Iran's revolutionary guard vows held to the Zionists as Putin warns Netanyahu. Iran has called reports that they sent an unmanned aerial vehicle into Israeli airspace ridiculous while an Israeli Iranian commander warns they could unleash hell on the Zionist regime by destroying all U.S. bases in the area. The claim about the flight of an Iranian drone and Israel's involvement in the downing is so ridiculous it doesn't merit comment. More to come after this break. Have you ever wondered if we really did go to the moon? if Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by an even better musician? Did you know that Saddam Hussein died in a B-1 bomber strike on 7 April 2003 and was replaced by one of his doubles who was put on trial and hanged in his place? Or that Osama bin Laden died in Afghanistan on 15 December 2001 and was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim traditions? That the raid in Pakistan was faked? There is more, including four chapters about the end of World War II, which prove that events we have been taught were very different than we have been told. Don't let yourself be played. Check out, and I suppose we didn't
1: go to the moon either. Hi, this is Gary King. If you're interested in the book, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, with the moon landing, Paul McCartney, Osama bin Laden, and the hoax of the century that is unspeakable go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.
0: Bear in mind, uh, Revolution Radio is listener-supported. As I have mentioned before, the best way you can support, I believe, is by subscribing to the archives. It's uh, $5 a month, uh, a modest contribution, but it's making your York. Your effort to support the the programs you find on Studio A, Studio B, by subscribing to the archives, you get access to all the shows uh, here on Revolution Radio. So uh, I reiterate my suggestion that you, if you're desirous of supporting Revolution Radio, uh, that that's a great way to do it. Meanwhile, Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin warned Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu in a Saturday phone call to avoid escalating the situation in Syria, while Netanyahu asserted Israel's right to defend against aggression, especially, of course, aggressive acts that are made up by Israel. They discussed the situation around the actions of the Israeli Air Force, which carried our uh, missile strikes on targets in Syria. Uh, which carried out missile strikes on uh, targets in Syria, the Kremlin was reported as saying. Uh, the co- phone conversation came placed, took place less than two weeks after a face-to-face meeting between the Israeli and Russian leaders in Moscow. The duo's seventh face-to-face meeting in two years in which the leaders who are currently reshaping the Middle East and the power vacuum left by the U.S. were said to have discussed military cooperation on Syria and Iran's influence in the region. Netanyahu also spoke with U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on Saturday, where he reiterated Israel's stance. Tillerson's about to embark this weekend on a five-nation tour of the Middle East visiting Turkey, Egypt, Kuwait, Jordan, and Lebanon. Interestingly enough, and this is a very significant development, Netanyahu has acknowledged that he's likely to be incited soon. There's been debate in the Israeli press as to whether that means that he must step down as prime minister. Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu remained defiant Thursday in the face of reports which acknowledge that police are expected to recommend his indictment for demanding and receiving gifts from businessmen, including cases of champagne in Cuban cigars in exchange for personal favors, my opinion is if Netanyahu is indicted, he will have to step down as Prime Minister. There's an extremely interesting piece on why Russian meddling is a Trojan horse uh, that I want to share with you because it seems to me it's one of the best balanced accounts of what's once accounts of what's going on accounts of what's going on here. So what's going on here by Bob Ui U-R-I-E. Prior to the 2016 presidential election, if one were to ask what single act could seal a new Cold War with Russia, aligned liberals and progressives with the operational core of the American military-industrial surveillance complex, exposed the preponderance of left activism as an offshoot of Democratic Party operations, and consigned most of remained a personal and dangerous leader, Consensus would likely have it that doing so wouldn't be easy. In fact, it sounds preposterous, right? Aligning the left with a military-industrial surveillance complex with the CIA, which it has been so critical of for so long. The decision to blame Russian meddling for Hillary Clinton's electoral loss was made in the immediate aftermath of the election by her senior campaign staff. The so a received wisdom among Clinton supporters was the election had been stolen and Donald Trump was set to enter the White House as a pawn of the Russian political leadership. Left out was the history of U.S.-Russian relations that the largest voting block of the 2016 election was eligible voters who didn't bother to vote. And that domestic business interests substantially controlled the American electoral process. Nice chart about how this was done. Uh, the Democrats' choice to blame external forces, uh, Russian meddling for their electoral loss in 2016, ignores evidence that none of the above is the people's choice. The largest voting block in the 2016 election was eligible voters who chose not to vote at all, 40%. In contrast to the received wisdom in political consultant circles, choosing not to vote is a political act. So we had you know 30 percent of Republicans, 30 percent Democrats, 40 percent didn't vote. More than a year later, no credible evidence has been put forward to establish that any votes were changed due to any external meddling as the intercept is reported. Since the election, progressive candidates seeking public office have been cited by establishment Democrats in favor of those with donors, Bernie Sanders being the most obvious example. And the Democratic Party leadership in Congress just voted to give Mr. Trump expanded spying powers with fewer constraints. Congressional Democrats are certainly behaving as if they believe Mr. Trump was duly elected and more to the point they are supporting his program. The choice of Russia would seem bizarre if not for the history. Residual propaganda from the first Cold War, itself largely a business enterprise that provided ideological cover for American imperial incursions, had that substantive grievances against the American government in the form of protests were universally the product of external enemies' intent on sowing discord to promote their own interests. This slander was used against the civil rights movement, organized labor, anti-war protesters, and the counterculture of the 1960s. They were all communists infiltrated. None of it was indigenous. None of it was simply real Americans believing the government had lost its way, whether they were anti-protesters or civil rights protesters or organized labor protesters or counterculture protesters. Therefore, the choice by the Clintonites to invo- invoke a new Cold War by bringing Russia into the American electoral mix was not without a past. Schools of history may recall that in the early 1990s, Mikhail Gorbachev was given assurances by senior members of George H.W. Bush's administration that NATO would not be expanded into Russia's border in exchange for Russia's help reintegrating East and West Germany. Well, that was following up on the solemn agreements which have the status of treaties negotiated by Lee Wanta between Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan that led to the dissolution of the Soviet Union, where the United States pledged not to encroach one inch onto the now Eastern Bloc sovereign nations that would be emancipated with the dissolution. It was Bill Clinton, however, who unilaterally abrogated these assurances and moved nuclear-armed NATO to Russia's borders, something we were never supposed to do. And where these agreements, by the way, under the Constitution have the same status under law as the Constitution itself, proving, once again, the word of the West is meaningless, that the United States is... Uh, Grossly hypocritical that we don't stand behind our word, that our promises mean nothing, that we are completely and absolutely untrustworthy among all the nations of the world. In 2013, the Obama administration brokered Mr. Obama's term, a coup in the former Soviet state of Ukraine that ousted the democratically elected president to install persons favorable to the interests of Western oligarchs. At the time, Hillary Clinton had just vacated her post as Mr. Obama's Secretary of State to prepare for her 2016 run for president. But her lieutenants, including Victoria Nuland, uh, were active in coordinating the coup and deciding who the new leadership of Ukraine would be, expending $5 billion American taxpayer dollars to deprive the Ukrainian people of their democratically elected president, just as we are investing trillions in an attempting to deprive the Syrian people of their democratically elected leader. I mean, it makes you want to gag. The analogy would be if Russia moved troops and weapons to the Mexican border with the U.S. after giving assurance it wouldn't do that, and then engineer a coup in Mexico to install a government friendly to the interests of the Russian political leadership. One needn't be sympathetic to Russian Interest, to understand that these are provocations. Given U.S. and Russian nuclear weapons stockpiles, the provocations seem more reckless than tough. Then consider Mr. Obama's later Trump's move to upgrade the U.S. nuclear arsenal toward tactical use. <laughs> this is to suggest that it certainly makes sense that the Russian political leadership would want to keep American militarists a.k.a. the Clintons and their neocon crazies out of the White House. But as of now, evidence is that the Russians changed no votes in the 2016 election. As far as inciting dissent and the charge that protests were organized by Russian interests, not only does this reek of prior misdirection by the FBI and CIA, but there's no evidence that any such protests had an impact on the outcome of the 2016 election. CNN. Got this, a daily war has reported CNN stunned by what Iowa voters think about the Russian investigation, political witch hunt from the get-go. CNN's Martin Salvage interviewed a group of voters from Iowa on Monday, all of whom expressed serious doubts about special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. I'm talking about yesterday, the 13th. The panel comprised of four Trump voters voice their support for the president while slamming Mueller's investigation. Vincent Javier, a former baseball player, called the investigation a political witch hunt from the get-go and a disgrace. When asked if he had faith in the FBI, Javier responded, hell no, no, absolutely not, nor do I. And indeed, here's massive confrontation, breaking, boom. Uh, Top FBI official, Bill Priestap, is cooperating with Trump Justice Department. Chris Stewart went full one-on-one with Judge Janine Pirro, who's been very smart on top of these issues, uh, not wanting to make news, but hinting strongly that they had a key player who was working with the Department of Justice to clean up the mess in the White House. Get to know this name, Bill Priestap. Bill Priestap is FBI Director of Counterintelligence. Bill Priestap was the immediate supervisor of FBI Counterintelligence Deputy Peter Strosack. Prieststep is number one, Strostock number two. The investigation into candidate Donald Trump was a counterintelligence operation. That began on July 2016. Bill Priestep would have been in charge of that along with all other FBI counterintelligence operations. FBI deputy Peter Strostock was specifically in charge of the Trump counterintel op. However, Strozik would be reporting to Bill prestep on every detail and coordinate, according to structure anyway, make a move without prestep's approval. On March 20, 2017, Congressional testimony, James Comey was asked why the FBI director did not inform Congressional oversight about the counterintelligence operation that began in July of 2016. Director Comey said, He did not tell Congressional Oversight he was investigating presidential candidate Donald Trump because the director of counterintelligence suggested he not do so. Very important detail. FBI Director James Coney was caught entirely off guard by that first three minutes of questioning. He simply didn't anticipate. Oversight protocol requires the FBI director to tell the Congressional Intelligence Gang of Eight of any counterintelligence operations. The Gang of Eight is oversight into these ops at the highest level of classification. At the time, this was the group, Paul Ryan, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Shermer, Devin Runes, Adam Schiff, uh, Richard Burr, Dianne Feinstein. Based on what we know and what has surfaced recently, we can all see why the FBI would want to keep it hidden. They were running a counter-intel operation against a presidential candidate. As FBI agent Peter Strozak said, it was an insurance policy. FBI agent Strozak to FBI attorney Page, with whom he was involved in a romantic relationship. I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, and there's no way he gets elected, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. So James Comey is telling Congress that the reason he didn't inform the de- statutory oversight gang of eight was because Bill Priestap, Director of Counterintelligence, recommended he not do it. That's called creating a fall guy. FBI Director James Comey is docking responsibility in March 2017 by blaming FBI Director of Counterintelligence Bill Priestap or not informing Congress of the operation that began in July 2016, nine months prior. Bill Priestock would have needed to authorize Peter Strzok to engage with Christopher Steele over the Russian dossier. Bill Priestock would have needed to approve of the underlying documents that were used for both FISA applications, June, July, and September, October. Bill Priestap would be the person to approve of paying or reimbursing Christopher Steele for the Russian dossier used in the counterintelligence op and subsequent FISA application. Without Bill Priestap involved, approvals, etc., the entire Russian Trump counterintel op doesn't happen. Comey's testimony is also evidence of Priestap's importance. In addition, when Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates testified with James Clapper, She, too, spoke of the importance of Priestock as her liaison in contact within the FBI on the counterintelligence operation. Yates never mentioned Peter Strozak not once. Bill Priestock is nobody's fool. He has put two and two together to see that he is set up as the fall guy. And it appears now he has become a witness for cleaning up the FBI by the Department of Justice by uh, parties who are are loyal to the Constitution of the United States under like the Cretans we've been
2: discussing here who have betrayed it.
0: FBI uh, FISA lies unmasked. It turns out Carter Page was undercover for the FBI before the FBI told the FISA court he was a foreign spy. In other words, Carter Page was an FBI undercover employee in 2013 and remained a primary FBI witness through May of 2016. If Carter Page was working as UCF, FBI undercover employee responsible for the bust of a high-level Russian agent in 2013, and remained a UCE throughout uh, 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 undercover confidential informant, okay, Throughout the court case up to May of 2016, how is it possible that on October 21st, 2016, Carter Page is put under a FISA title, one surveillance warrant as an alleged Russian agent? Conclusion, he wasn't. The DOJ National Security Division and FBI Counterintelligence Division flat out lied. They made it up. He was their guy. This is a... Roughly like, you know, blaming Osama bin Laden for attacking the U.S. on 9-11 when he was our man in Afghanistan. He was instrumental in getting the Stinger missiles into the hands of the Mujahideen. He was Colonel Tom, Tim Osmond of the CIA. An official of the agency visited Osama in a hospital in Dubai shortly before his death on 15 December 2001, where he died in Afghanistan, it was multiple medical maladies and was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with the Muslim tradition. A local obituaries appeared in Fox News and CNN, both reported on 26 December 2001 already, but Obama found it convenient to resurrect him and kill him again. Looks as though this kind of activity, you know, for covering up. Is continuing the Clinton dead list. Passengers killed on the crash Russian plane included the C.E. the chief financial of office officer of Ross Atom Uranium One and Russian source for Christopher Steele's dossier against Trump. as almost as most of the world knows now, a plane crashed in Russia this morning, a few minutes after takeoff, killing everyone aboard. As Russian authorities released the passenger names. On the official death list, several of those now deceased names raised immediate red flags because they appear to be directly connected to the Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Uranium 1 conspiracy into the fake Russian dossier used to smear President Trump. Now that they've been caught, it appears that to many that the deep state is cleaning house and getting rid of loose ends who might testify. Sergey Milan a Belarus-born businessman who briefly worked with the Trump Organization, was reportedly a key source in the explosive dossier alleging ties between President Donald Trump and Russia, was in the spotlight following release of testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. Glenn Simpson, who co-founded the opposition research fund Fusion GPS, told lawmakers that a trip Trump Organization representatives took to Moscow several years ago had come onto the firm's radar as part of their research into Trump's business history. The trip was organized by Sergi Milan, Simpson said. Million, he he said, million came up in connection with Chris's work as one of the people around Trump who had a Russian background. Chris is a reference to Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence officer hired by Fusion to research Trump's Russia ties. Fusion DPS testimony brings Alleged dossier source, Sergi Milliam, back into the spotlight. The House Intelligence Committee released a transcript of its interview with Fusion GPS co-founder Glenn Simpson on Thursday. But that would have been a week or so ago, even two weeks Simpson spoke at at length about Sergei Millian, a Belarus-born businessman who has worked with the Trump Organization, was reportedly a key source. In the explosive Russia-Trump dossier, Millian appears to have begun downplaying his ties to the Trump Organization after Western reporters started digging into Trump's ties in 2006, but he now appears to be dead. Reports, Trump dossier sources aboard the crashed Russian flight, uh, Lav Ivanov is a chief financial officer of Rosatom, Russia's nuclear energy company. He is alleged to have been involved with, in the Hillary Clinton's Uranium One deal with Russia back in 2009 under Barack Obama. His name appears on the list of the deceased in today's uh, AN-148 air crash uh, in Moscow. Reports are yet to be confirmed whether or not it's the same person but it's the same person. Just to indicate how bad it's become, its official news will now come directly from the CIA as John Brennan is hired by NBC. Washington, D.C. This is coming from RT. Former CIA director John Brennan has been hired as a paid contributor by NBC and MSNBC, the media company, announced. He led the agency from 2013 to early 2017 under President Barack Obama. He, by the way, was the director of the CIA in 2012 uh, when, when uh,
2: ISIS was created by the
0: Defense Intelligence Agency with his, his approvals. They, they seem to have the date here then off by, by at least a year or two because he was the director, Hillary was the Secretary of State, Barack Obama was the president when it was created by the Defense Intelligence Agency over the protest of its then director, Michael Flynn. In fact, Flynn would subsequently be fired because he opposed the creation of ISIS at the recommendation of John Brennan to Barack Obama, who is, is turning out to be as corrupt as they come. You know, those of us who swooned because he was tall, dark, and handsome were played once again. Brennan's appointment comes amid the outcry over a memorandum released by the House Intelligence Committee Chair Devin Nunes, Republican of California, alleging impropriety by the FBI and Department of Justice while investigating claims of Russian interference in the 2016 election. That Brennan previously lied to an NBC journalist about the CIA's attempts to thwart a Senate Intelligence Committee investigation into the agency's use of torture was apparently no deterrent to his appointment. So here we have Axios PM, the situational awareness. Former CIA director John Brennan has been named a senior national security and intelligence analyst for NBC and NMS. NBC's first Meet the Press with Chuck Todd appearance will be this Sunday, which was two days ago. The ex-CI chief made his first appearance in his new role as senior national security and intelligence analyst on Meet the Press Sunday and promptly took the opportunity to accuse Devin Nunes of being exceptionally partisan and abusing his role to protect Trump, which is simply absurd. On the contrary, it's John Brennan who's been exceptionally uh, partisan and abused his position to, uh, to attack Trump. And, you know, Chuck Todd has just turned out to be a massive disappointment. I thought he was a man of some integrity, but he's in fact just one more weasel in the CIA's endless assortment of corporate chills and phonies. It's a disgrace. Dr. Ewan has published a nice blog, uh, which I have republished on mine, address book on Anthony Weiner's laptop, includes George Soros, the Rothschild's journalists and professors, Somebody, likely a white hat in the FBI, leaked the address book and the laptop computer of Anthony Weiner, a.k.a. Carlos Danger, former New York Democrat congressman, convicted pedophile and husband of Hillary's closest name, Huma Abedin. The FBI had confiscated Weiner's laptop in a raid in September 2016 while well, investigating Wiener's sexting to an underage girl for which he was convicted and sentenced to 21 months in Federal Medical Center Ayer, Massachusetts. Four days ago, on February 6th, the address book of 639 names and their addresses and phone numbers was uploaded to Squawker. Included in the list are George Soros, Lyndon Rothschild, the CEO of E.L. Rothschild, the holding company she owns, with her third husband, Sir Evelyn Robert de Rothschild, a member of the very powerful Rothschild family. Republican Party consultant Roger Stone. Note that both Soros and Rothschild are buddies of Hillary Clinton. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton took orders from George Soros on how to handle unrest in Albania. Hillary's email with Lynn de Rothschild. As you would expect, since Anthony Weiner is Jewish, there are innumerable Jewish names among the 639 Know thy enemies. I've sorted the 639 contacts into three groups. Many individuals have overlapping roles, as in the case of academics. who go in and out of government and former government officials becoming academics. Note that Wiener alphabetizes address book by his contact's first name instead of last. Just go to jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. Put in Dr. Eowyn, E-O-W-Y-N. It'll pop right up. You'll have the list of those who are found in the address book at your disposal. Too long to enumerate here, but you're going to be surprised by some of those on the list. I most certainly was myself. We have a very interesting case of China intercepting a missile in space a week after a failed U.S. attempt, and I'll continue after the break since we're on the very verge. Let me just encourage you, once again, go to jamesfetzer.blogspot.com to check out those lists who are on the Anthony Weiner address book, email address book. We'll be right back. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman. For excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have finally the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color.
1: Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.
0: This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Raw Deal, continuing with two stories about rockets and missiles, one of which is real, the other of which is not. China intercepts a missile in space one week after failed U.S. attempt. Uh, U.S. missile interceptor test in Hawaii fails. That was reported by the Missile Defense Agency and Raytheon. Less than a week after a U.S. missile defense system failed to intercept a ballistic missile outside of the Earth's atmosphere, the Chinese Ministry of National Defense claimed to have triumphed, where the Americans stumbled. China carried out a missile interception exercise that was successful and achieved Beijing's expected goals, Chinese state news agency. Xinhu reported Tuesday, this test was defensive and not aimed at any country, the Chinese Defense Ministry noted. Uh, The test Beijing claims was a success thwarted a ballistic missile during the mid-course stage of the flight path, which occurs outside Earth's atmosphere, the South China Morning Post noted. No details have been disclosed by Chinese state media indicating from where the ground-based interceptor was launched. Moscow has said that the Aegis offshore system is capable of firing Tomahawk Chris missiles or ballistic missiles for offensive purposes in addition to firing interceptors, the U.S. State Department claims the system is only capable of launching uh, a defensive interceptor missiles such as the SM-3, according to a fact sheet. The fact that such systems are appearing next to our eastern border creates a new situation where we cannot ignore in our military planning. We again call on Japanese counterparts to think about whether it is in Japan's interest to become another violator of the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Force Treaty, INF. Uh, Russian Foreign Deputy Sergei Rabikov said uh, uh, back on December 30th, on uh, January 16th, a Russian foreign minister, Sergey Lavrov, expressed doubt about Tokyo's claim that the U.S. would not have some operational control over the ballistic missile interceptor systems. The Japanese foreign minister uh, ministry uh, told Sputnik News that the missile defense of our country is a purely defensive system, the goal of which is to protect the life and property of our citizens. Aegis offshore will be managed by Japan. It's a Japanese defensive system, and no threat to Russia or other countries near Japan. But notice you see here in the Far East just a repetition of the same pattern we had in the, in Eastern Europe of encroachment on the NATO nations. Now Japan, which heretofore has been you know neutral, in fact was not allowed to have a military force in the wake of World War II, is now developing, and it, it's obvious why there ought to be concern that the U.S. is extending its military reach. China, interestingly, appears to be far more sophisticated in terms of space technology, than the United States. We also have this very, very bizarre situation with the SpaceX Falcon. Heavy Tesla Roadster to Mars, where some billionaire has arranged for this Roadster to be fired up into space. It all completely appears to be fake, totally fraudulent. Falcon Heavy Test Flight. It's even listed as joke, right? In fact, here we see uh, part of the rocket's uh, but it had like a triple rocket system, and two of them were detachable and were shown coming back to land on Earth. I can guarantee you this is a, an animation. This is a simulation. What they have done here is, you know, it's a comic book. They put out a video version of a comic book. I think it's got to be to test the gullibility of the American public. Will we believe anything? And the answer is yes, we will believe anything. Alan Weisbacker, quite a brilliant guy, wrote me about this, was relieved when I wrote him that it was a comic book, put in, the, you know, animated. He's doing a program about it. I would uh, like to have Alan on the show. I've invited him before, where whatever reason it didn't work out. I'll see if I can rearrange it. This is certainly an appropriate opportunity. Bernie has disappointed me incredibly. The Nation of Change published a piece of Bernie's statement on the newness memo, What is the President Afraid of? While seeking to protect American politics from further Russian intrusions, Bernie Sanders referred to the memo as a political stunt. This is incredibly embarrassing in my opinion. Let us be absolutely clear. The release of this Republican staff memo is a blatant attempt by House Republicans and the White House to disrupt the critically important investigation into Russia's interference in the 2016 election and the possible collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign, Sanders wrote in a statement on Friday. The fact that congressional Republicans in the White House would release a memo the FBI itself says is misleading is a sad example of a political party putting partisanship above patriotism, that this memo was first released. to white right-wing news outlets like Fox and the Washington Examiner speaks to the political nature of this effort. According to news reports, President Trump himself has acknowledged that the release of the memo was designed to disrupt Robert Mueller's investigation. It is critical that the American people learn the truth about what happened in 2016. And no political stunt should interfere with the special counsel's work. What is the president afraid of? Trump has already admitted to NBC's Lester Holt that he fired Comey in an attempt to shut down the Russia investigation. Although the FBI had opened investigation into both candidates, Comey only admitted in public to the investigation into Hillary Clinton during the final days of the campaign. Well, this is incredibly disappointing. I, I, I published the following. I was the first commenter on this story. When Bernie covers for the deep state when its operations have been exposed so blatantly and instead suggests that the fraudulent Russian hacking scenario has merit, he has lost his credibility. I've been thinking about him in 2020, but this offers proof that he's not on top of the crimes of the FBI and the DOJ even though they were protecting Hillary, who sabotaged his campaign. Not good. I mean, look at how bad this is. The whole Russian hacking meme, remember, was made up by Robbie Mook and John Podesta within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech uh, to obfuscate the fact that they had run a miserable campaign, uh, that they had sabotaged Bernie Sanders Operation by giving 13 primaries, he had one to Hillary, uh, that they took out Seth the Rich, who actually had been the source of the leaks. I mean, this is embarrassingly bad. Here was Lucky Doodle 70, uh, 77 added, not sure why he's defending this, as there's been no proof of Russian meddling in our elections. However, the U.S. is guilty of doing just that in many other countries. Completely correct. I also disagree with Senator Sanders on Syria. That being said, I still love Bernie. His message hasn't changed in 40 years. He's still fighting for the people. He isn't the one who initiates the bloodbaths our country continues to create in the Middle East. While I believe that Russia had nothing to do with the outcome of the election, I don't doubt for one second that Trump and those he surrounds himself with have, have had or continue to have some type of dealings with Russia. They keep getting caught in lies. If nothing to hide, why lie? Who knows? Maybe it's something else and not the meddling BS they are investigating. I don't know why Bernie stays with the Dems because he's still fighting for everything they are against and will never pass. They have told us as much. I wish he would leave the party. I did in 2016 after being registered for 40 years. Our two-party system is nothing more than an illusion of choice. Having to opt between the lesser of two evils is not a choice. Nor is it democratic. We lose out every time we are being controlled. I would vote for Sanders if he vote for president. I've loved this man way before he even ran for the presidency, from which he was robbed. He isn't the person who initiates any of this. He's just trying to make his vision for our country become a reality. But sadly, that's never going to happen if he stays with the Democrats. They don't share the same vision. If he ran as an independent, he would win no problem. There are now more registered independents. There are Republicans or Dems for good reason, peace. Well, I think this was a year when Bernie ought to have run. He was invited by Jill Stein to join her on the Green Party. I believe they would very likely have won. I added further comments, and I was glad, glad to see Nation have changed into them. The Russian hacking meme, this was to Alan Shaw, with whom I went back and forth several times. The Russian hacking meme was made up out of whole cloth by Rodney Mook and John Podesta within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech as two investigative journalists who followed her campaign reported it shattered 2017. They did that to draw attention away from the incompetent campaign they had run, from the contents of the WikiLeaks revelations that led directly to Pizzagate, where John Podesta is pedophile-in-chief, and from Hillary's own Russian entanglements, where she arranged for Russia to acquire 20% of U.S. uranium reserves via the Canadian company Uranium One for a contribution of $145 million to the Clinton Foundation, a transfer that also required approval of then-President Barack Obama. If Ethel and Julius Rosenberg got the electric chair for sharing atomic secrets with the Soviet Union, what do Hillary Clinton Barack Obama deserve for selling 20% of U.S. uranium reserves to Russia? You must have missed the memo. Alan Shaw. Yes, of course, I missed the memo. So did the special counsel. However, you did not miss it, and that is all that is important. So, so you can continue to believe. I understand there are many different religions, and no one yet has proven any one of them wrong. However... I bet you have a word straight from above about the correct version. I do not believe you even read what I presented. I did not say yes or no. I said wait and see. Try uh, turning your station off Fox for a moment and hear what others are saying. My response to Alan Shaw. You really are a silly person. Bernie was sabotaged by Hillary and the DNC, which gave her 13 primaries that he had won. Seth Rich, a DNC IT guy and Bernie supporter became disillusioned and provided the DNC emails to Julian Assange via Craig Murray, an intel analyst, UK ambassador to Uzbekistan, and rector of the University of Dundee. He and Assange both affirmed that they knew the leaker and he was not Russian. Ray McGovern and Bill Binney, a veteran intelligence professional for sanity, VIPS, verified that the files were downloaded directly from the DNC server at a rate too rapid for distant Russian hacking and done in the eastern time zone. I am sorry, but you need to get up to speed. Your life is being managed by the deep state. You don't even know it. And I suppose the dump truck that nearly derailed the Amtrak train was merely a coincidence, too. Well, he replied, you are interesting. Interesting. I thought I would reach out. Give me your thoughts about five cases in which the deep state has attempted to pull the wool over our eyes. Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Charlottesville, Las Vegas, and needless to add, JFK. I presented this talk in Seattle Sunday. Super special. prophet James Fetzer shares truths in Seattle today. Fake news on five-channel fronts. Let me know what you think I have wrong. Well, YouTube wasted no time taking it down for violent or graphic content, but there is no violent or graphic content, only proof that the Sandy Hook kids were fabricated out of photographs of older children when they were younger. That's about as violent and graphic as it gets. They may have mistaken a slide showing fake blood in Boston for real blood. As soon as we have it up where YouTube can't ban it, I will post a link to it right here. What could be more powerful proof of the deep state than YouTube taking down a video of my dissection of its efforts to pull the wool over the eyes of the public with regard to Sandy Hook, the Boston Marathon, Charlottesville, Las Vegas, and JFK, where I present new and important proof of how the kids were fabricated at Sandy Hook out of photos of older kids when they were younger, that the brothers were framed in Boston. That two drivers plus two cars plus two takes equals totally fake in Charlottesville. That Las Vegas was a movie with a pre-recorded soundtrack, special visual effects in a crowd seated with crisis actors, where the obituaries are for persons who died in different states or on different dates or from different causes of death, and where autopsy photos of JFK are not even of the body of JFK it another stab at making my lecture available to to the public, but bear in mind the deep deep state doesn't want you to see this. Part one, and there's a link to the Seattle Community TV station where uh, Don Gran and I, together with Scott Bennett and Michael J. Anderson, tape every week. Uh, uh, the the Truth Versus News, capital N-E-W-dollar sign instead of S, reports, where this week's report, because of my uh, suffering from the flu, will actually be taped tomorrow, uh, but will include the, the stories that we're covering here today uh, on the, the raw deal. Uh, I would b- point out uh, about the... Boston bombing case, we have uh, amicus curiae briefs submitted by John Remington Grant, who's a retired professor of law, to the uh, Court of Appeals for the First Circuit in relation to the conviction of Zoker Serenov of the Boston bombing, where on behalf of three citizens of the United States, of whom I'm proud to be the first one named, he observes that since the backpacks don't match, that since the brothers were not wearing backpacks that corresponded with the backpacks that exploded, where the FBI identified the two backpacks that exploded at the Boston Marathon the day of the event as having been in black and nylon backpacks, but where the brothers neither are wearing black nylon backpacks. So they committed a colossal blunder when they photo. Shopped their images into the scene at the marathon. They were, in fact, not present. I was advised by their aunt, Marette, who is a formidable woman who has a law degree from Moscow University, that their images had been photoshopped in, which she knew because Tamerlan, the older brother, is shown clean shaven, but he had a beard. Indeed, I asked her, could she prove it? And she sent me a photograph of Tamerlin lying in bed with his cat. He has a beard. Of uh, a, a link to a, the two of them working out at a gymnasium the day before the marathon. He has a beard. He was contacted by a friend that afternoon, relieved that they'd been nowhere near the Boston Marathon. They had dinner together that night. He had a beard. There's a co- convenience store footage where Tamerlin's outside, Zoker it. Uh, where Tamerlan has a beard. He's arrested, stripped naked, and put in police vehicle. I could identify him, but how much more convenient that he's identified by his mother and his aunt. He has a beard. When his body subsequently shows up with a huge gas in the side, again, he has a beard. Indeed, one of the bizarre aspects of the whole case is the claim that Zoker could have murdered his brother. Or inadvertently killed him after he'd been taken into police custody. That simply wasn't possible. Indeed, we have a witness reporting she watched the police drive over him three time in a black SUV, apparently his own vehicle, uh, killing him. I mean, outrageous, but there it is. So Zoker was convicted. His, his attorney, defense attorney, Judy Clark, who appears to be used by the government to clean up a lot of messy cases where the evidence is all completely contrary to what they're being charged with, Uh, pled them guilty, but in her opening statement said they did it, so there was no necessity to prove they did it, which would have been impossible because they didn't do it. And the fact that the backpacks don't match is simply stunning stuff. uh, I'm really uh, glad to report that the brief has been accepted by the Court of Appeals, which according to John Remington Grant is the first time in the history of American jurisprudence that an amicus curiae brief has been accepted by a court since it demonstrates the backpacks don't match. The brothers cannot have been guilty of the crimes. In fact, the whole thing was blown apart the day of the Boston Marathon by the alternative media who discovered that it had been the bombs had been planted by members of Craft International and one of these private armies like Blackwater. When they were there in abundance with their khaki trousers, black jackets, black baseball caps, we have images of two of them moving to the location where one of the bombs explodes. One of them is wearing a black nylon backpack with a white square sewn on it. The backpack that explodes is a black nylon backpack with a white square on it. He's then photographed rushing away, no longer wearing the black nylon backpack with a white square. I mean, how much more blatant can you be? I've been explaining all this since the Boston Marathon took place. Again and again and again, I have a book about it you hear promoted on this very show on Revolution Radio. The American people are entitled to know the truth about the conduct of their own government. In this case, they're going to get the truth because now that it has been accepted by the appeals court, Uh, A reversal in the case is inevitable, and I'm very proud of John Remington Graham for for persevering with the case. In relation to Charlottesville, as I explained in the video, which which YouTube has taken down, uh, and by the way, let me just mention, yes, there is one image where you can see what appears to be blood, but it's fake blood. I've already zoomed in on the fact that we have bodies lying there missing arms and legs, but there is no blood, where it's impossible that arms and legs should have been blown off by explosives and there be no blood. This Lorraine Day, 25 years, had a trauma surgery for San Francisco General Hospital, has explained. And then I contrast that with the sudden appearance of the blood. It's too bright. It doesn't change color. It's not human blood. It's Hollywood blood. There's even one of the kits in the foreground from which the blood came. I mean, this is all embarrassingly bad. It shows that YouTube is thoughtless, arrogant, doesn't care about the truth. Uh, It may have been done by AI, but there was no justification for this whatsoever. Listen to the soundtrack. I explained perfectly clearly. That this is fake blood, fake blood. So is is YouTube now so complicit in fraud, you know, a, as an accessory after the fact of fraud and theft by deception uh, that it's willing to conceal the commission of crimes by parties responsible and exonerating those who are not responsible? I mean, this is uh, this is very very bad. There have to be major lawsuits, major lawsuits brought against YouTube for actions like this unconscionable all videos should be allowed to prevail they don't have any privileged access to truth they're just going to pick and choose what the government wants to allow you to know and what the government does not want to allow you to know and and in my opinion it's frankly completely stunning that it's gone this far that we're getting all these forms of censorship because the government itself has been exposed to the, the mainstream media for delivering all this fake news about Russian hacking. There was no Russian hacking. Seth Rich released the documents to Julian Assad by way of Craig Murray. He was a Bernie Sanders supporter. He was completely disillusioned with what had happened here. And as I'm going to explain, there's new, new news about Las Vegas, too.
2: Stand by. I'll be right back.
0: Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, prove that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. There was a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama. Now Hillary wants to extend the deception by posing as a champion of Sandy Hook to confiscate your guns. Don't let
1: yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. If you want to get a grip on just what fake news is, then I'd suggest you get the book, Nobody Died in Boston, at PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.
0: Some of the latest developments in relation to Las Vegas have been mind-boggling, where the judges ordered the Las Vegas Review Journal to destroy an autopsy report on one of the victims of the mass shooting. But this is just compounding one absurdity with another, because the judge had directed that the coroner release the autopsy records and what did the coroner do? I mean, I knew he was in a quandary because he didn't have any. Nobody died in Las Vegas. It was a movie, they had a pre recorded soundtrack. It's embarrassingly bad. So, what did they do? They released, well, it went through a, a number of steps, in, including uh, 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 a, li- a list. Just a list that the coroner gave out that had the the names, 58 names and then cause of death that had no standing, okay? Get this, just for background. The coroner's office was closed in the wake of the October 1st catastrophe, okay? Uh, I mean, if you accept the official story, right? If you don't understand what actually was going on. Uh, but but that list had no forensic significance. It was just a list. And this was part of the evasion, why they had closed the coroner's office, because they knew they would be besieged with requests for death certificates and autopsy reports, and they didn't have any. Uh, this was an elaborate charade. They had a pre-recorded soundtrack with the actual sound of real machine guns some bullets hitting hard surfaces and so forth, that they played over the PA system for the concert. They had coordinated special visual effects, including in the middle of the hotel, there was on the fourth floor, there was on the fourth a, a sequence of bursts of light to simulate machine gun firing at a higher level, three light bursts to simulate American military weapons which fire in three shot bursts. We have a A man in the crowd who turns to fire on the crowd. You can see the flash from his muzzle, but no impact of any bullets because he was firing blanks. Uh, We have no signs of any shots actually having been fired from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay, none. And in fact, the story there has been so absurd as I've been recounting that you must be absolutely God-smacked by the fact that the guy who's dead there isn't even Stephen Paddock, the Paddock had smooth ears that connected to his his head, but the body there has curled ears. That uh, the body that underwent autopsy was seventy three inches or six feet one. Uh, where we have an Alaska sports fishing hunting license that showed that Stephen Paddock was six foot four. So the body that underwent autopsy isn't even the the body of Stephen Paddock. It turns out he had six or seven cell phones, and it now appears he was actually, he had so many weapons because it was a gun display area that he was involved in arms dealing. So he'd bring in, uh, you know, clients, and they'd check out the weapons, and then they could test fire at a different location. Uh, It turns out now that Mandalay Bay is acknowledging that they had interaction with Stephen Paddock on 10 different occasions, including twice on October 1st. Uh, and that nothing was out of the normal, suggesting either the guns weren't there at all or it was not abnormal to find an array of 23 military-style weapons in his suite on the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay. Uh, We have done research on the autopsy reports uh, Mona Alexis Presley has found case after case after case. It was for persons who died in different states or on different dates or for different causes of death. That this was all uh, fabrication. Uh, nobody died there. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts received uh, a report from a military surgeon who reviewed the the you know videos of the patients in the hospitals, and they found. He found that none of them were credible, uh, that uh, uh, even uh, none of them appeared to have actually sustained a wound. They were all much too cheerful, pleasant, happy, contented. One even bounced out of bed to stand at attention when President Trump comes in, which the physician observed, had he actually been shot, only would he have had no inclination. He would have been unable to stand. Where an American trauma surgeon actually... Uh, also wrote to Ball Craig Roberts that he had uh, observed that the patients weren't even connected to the blood pressure monitors or their IV drips. I mean, I've, I've observed before that a couple of months ago when I lost my balance, I went down to the emergency care facility here in Madison and within 5 minutes i was connected to the iv uh, to the to the to the blood pressure monitor which remained on me until i was given a clean bill of health and left the facility so i mean here they're not even connected i mean how stupid how dumb are we supposed to be we have we have a uh, 33 videos we've gone through and this is all archived, by the way, on my blog at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com if you want to review any of this in detail. 33 videos where you find no one actually being shot. You hear lots of the sounds of shots, but you don't see anyone actually being shot. Where I had both Moda Alexis Presley, and
2: Dan Cromer on my show the other day.
0: Moda was my guest, and Dan called in, where Dan's a student of audio video, and he had confirmed that the the recording was of too high quality to have been uh, you know actually recorded on the scene at the time, and this was the pre-recording. But we also notice when you go back and listen to recordings of the concert, you can hear very faintly in the beginning the sound of the machine gun in the background. But nobody's reacting at all because, of course, it was just a sound of a machine gun in the background. No one even realized it was there. Now, the crowd was seated with over 500 crisis actors, but they were waiting for their cue to begin reacting. They had to turn up the volume. Of the recording on the PA system before they could hear it and react. Now, that's a smoking gun right there. They had to turn up the volume of the recording on the PA system to get the reaction, even though you could hear it faintly in the background previous to this. But because it was only a sound effect, it wasn't a real shooting, there were no real bullets being fired. I and mean, this whole thing is just an enormous scam. It's just insulting to me. We're having to put up with this complete and total nonsense. I mean, it's just one bullshit event after another bullshit event after another bullshit event. You think the American people would get, would catch on? Well, I'd like to believe that those of you who listen to this show, at least, understand that the public is being played. And it's got to do with making money, for example, that the the chief executive officer of Mandalay Bay MGM sold off 80% of his stock before the event in order to buy it back up on the cheap when it fell and make a bundle uh, that George Soros put a $41 million short on the Mandalay Bay MGM so that when the stock fell, he would make a bundle that they were recruiting crisis actors uh, for, by this outfit called Crowds on Demand out of Los Angeles for 15 days before the event. That We had a fellow who signed in as John for 4chan explaining that there was also a plan to put these, uh, casino, these screening machines, the x-ray machines, in all the casinos and hotels in Las Vegas uh, in the aftermath and make hundreds of billions of dollars. In fact, they want to expand them to the schools and churches all over the country based upon completely phony fabricated events. This is what goes on in the United States. They make up folding pro- problems for which they provide very expensive solutions. And you are the loser, you, the taxpayer. Uh, what a journalist in, the, in the Las Vegas wrote about how it only would delay you thir- 30 seconds in entering a, a resort or a casino to have to pass through one of these scanners. But that led me to reflect on the fact when you go to the dentist, they cover you with a lead vest before they subject your teeth to milliseconds of radiation exposure to create your dental x-rays. Um, you know, fractions of a second, and they cover you with a lead vest. Here you're going through with no protection. Who knows how much damage it does to the human body to be Subjected to one of these screeners, which is why when I go through the airport as I did traveling to Portland and Seattle this past weekend, uh, I made a point of uh, avoiding the scanners, and you know if they want to pat me down, pat me down i 've had cancer before i 'm not going to do it, and it's outrageous and Michael Chertoff, who was our second director of Homeland Security, was responsible for getting these awful machines that are doing untold damage to human beings and other living things in the airports of the United States today, which all should be removed. It's all outrageous. There's no justification for it. They don't do any good. They've done repeated trials. They're able to get any any explosives they want through in spite of the security. It's just a colossal waste of time and effort. It's costing the government, you know, staggering sums of money uh, to run these uh, security ops for no good reason. For God's sake, on 9-11, none of those four commercial carriers even crashed on 9-11. Two of them weren't even in the air. Uh, the pilots, were, that's 11 and 77. Uh, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics keeps records on every flight, every commercial takeoff and landing. So for statistics, for the industry, they keep records. But two of the planes weren't even scheduled that day. The other two, pilots for 9/11, to, 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 tracked using air-ground communication and found that uh, one, one uh, flight 93 was over Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, after it had purportedly crashed in Shanksville. That flight 175 was over Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, long after it had officially hit the south tower. I obtained. Federal Aviation Administration records that showed that the plane's used for those flights. And remember, the same plane can be used for different flights. Today from Tampa to Chicago, tomorrow, New York to San Francisco. were not formally deregistered or taken out of service until 28 September 2005. So can planes that weren't even in the air have crashed on 9-11. Hell can planes that crashed on 9-11 have still been in the air four years later. We've been scammed, we've been played for complete idiots, complete idiots. It's just shocking. In fact, a half a dozen or more of the alleged hijackers turned up alive and well the following day and made contact with the British media, which David Ray Griffin makes the very first point of his magisterial work, the 9-11 Commission Report, Omissions and Distortion This is why you need to understand how we were faked, how we were played, how, you know, the buildings didn't collapse. They were blown apart in every direction. They were converted into millions of cubic yards of very fine dust, which is a signature of the use of nuclear devices. When it was over, there was no stack of debris in the footprint. Nothing was there. Contrast that with Building 7, which was a classic controlled demolition. All the floors came down at the same time yet a stack of pancakes or debris in the footprint equal to 12% of the height of the original 47 floors or five and a half floors. This is why you need to study this stuff. This is why you need to watch my two-hour presentation on the Brian Rue show, R-U-H-E, just put in Brian Rue, R-U-H-E, comment 9 slash 11, or get America nuked on 9-11 from moonrockbooks.com. I mean, I'm not doing this for my health, I mean, we make money from selling books so we can produce more books. I'm working on Las Vegas right now. We've just published Charlottesville. We've published on the Boston Bomb. We've we published on Sandy Hook. That one I released for free to the public as a PDF. You can still get it. Just put it in your search bar. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Because the government is banning this. That's why they're talking about all the fake news. The, the, the truth is coming from the alternative media. Uh, from programs like those you hear on Revolution Radio. It's not coming from CNN or NBC or ABC or MSNBC. My God, they're even bringing in John Brennan, liar in chief. So you're going to get it directly from the CIA. This is outrageous. So what's happened here in Las Vegas? A judge on Friday, this is February 9th, that's just last Friday, Order the Las Vegas Review Journal and the Associated Press to destroy their copies of autopsy, an autopsy report for an October 1st mass shooting victim, siding with the privacy concerns of the victim's widow. But why? Why? The report was one of 58 that a different judge ordered the Clark County Coroner's Office to release last week in the wake of another lawsuit, which argued that the autopsies of the Las Vegas mass shooting victims should be public. The judge also ordered the coroner's office to release gunman Stephen Paddock's autopsy report, which was handed over Friday afternoon. Friday's ruling pertained only to the autopsy report for Charleston Hartfield, an off-duty Las Vegas police officer who was killed during the shooting. He was the husband of the plaintiff, Veronica Hartfield. The ruling by District Judge Richard Scotty also barred the newspaper and the AP from further reporting on Hartfield's autopsy details. Reviewed Journal Editor-in-Chief Keith Moyer said the newspaper would file an emergency appeal of Scotty's decision to the Nevada Supreme Court. These reports are important public records. Previous rulings have held that these reports must be accessible to the public, Moyer said. Look, this case will wind up going all the way to the Supreme Court. It's absurd. There is no overriding private party interest over the public's knowledge of exactly what happened when people are killed. The newspaper's attorney, Maggie McCletchy, confirmed she filed the emergency appeal Friday. Scotty's decision came after more than two hours of arguments during which attorney Anthony Segro contended that the widow's privacy concerns far outweighed the public's right to know. He also said the reviewed journal only sought the records in the first place to sell newspapers. They can report all they want on the happenings of the event so long as they don't trample on the privacy rights of individuals, Sergio said. But this is just false, completely false. This is well-settled case law here. You think this is the first time a newspaper has published details about a, a death that the private party didn't want published? McClatchy called Sir comments about the newspaper sales strange criticism. I mean, every newspaper is out to sell papers. Every book publisher out to sell books. That's not a question. The point is, is the public entitled to have... The records about what happened here and and what was done, that's why I bring together experts on so many aspects of the case. So you, as a member of the public, can have a semi-permanent record of what really happened, and you're just blown away by how much it grossly contradicts the official accord. She argued that despite Anguish Hatfield's widow and other victim's family have experienced the First Amendment still applies. Needless to say, I mean, get get this, the, the 58 autopsy records that were released, I wondered how in the world he were going to do this because they don't have any. They don't have any legitimate actual death certificates or autopsy reports from the shooting because nobody died there. It was a completely staged event. I even have a Facebook friend who reached out to the three closest hospitals and was informed by all three that none of them had received any gunshot victims. One further elaborate: you must be calling about the drill, but nobody was shot during the drill. Contact the local police. They know the truth there. It's just not being public. So we got a Las Vegas... Okay, so they released 58 autopsies with no ballistics, no ballistics. What sense does that make? And no names. They blotted out the names, and there are no ballistics. So how can you tell whether, you know, were any of these people even killed by being shot by, by gunshots? I mean, this is just stupid. This is insulting in the, in the extreme. And, and how can you tell which one is supposed to be this guy's death certificate when there are no ballistics, they're one of 58, and they're not even identified by name? The judge's unconstitutional ruling violates the Privacy Protection Act of 1980, which protects journalists and newsrooms from being raided by the government. A major newsroom battle developed, uh, battled the widow of a slain metro police officer in a wrapped-up district courtroom on Friday after the plaintiff filed a motion to have her late husband's autopsy report sealed from the general public's viewing against state law. The news comes after District Judge Richard Scotty acted as a shill on behalf of the widow and those pulling her strings from behind the scenes. After a vigorous two-hour-long battle, the judge made it clear to the defendant that there would be no compromise. We can have a representative from the coroner's office go over there and look at the records that the Review Journal has, the AP has, and locate the particular record we're dealing with today, and we can destroy that one record in the Associated Press uh, the, uh, R- 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 review journal can maintain possession of the other record. But this is a violation of the law. I mean, this judge is so incompetent. He doesn't even know the law of, law, of Nevada, much less federal law, established case law here. Your honor, it's unprecedented and impermissible to allow government entity to go to the newspaper's office and go through their files. The frustrated newspaper's attorney, Maggie McLechey, reported. You see, the Privacy Protection Act of 1980 protects journalists and newsrooms from having to turn over to law enforcement, any works, products, documentary materials, and sources before they've been disseminated to the public, so things like this can't happen. Yet, even so, the judge carried on with the shenanigans. Additionally, the ruling bars the Las Vegas Review Journal, the AP, and over 100 other news outlets from further reporting on Hartfield's autopsy details which surely contain information of significance. To the unprecedented nature of the ruling, the Review Journal's legal team plans to file an emergency appeal in an effort to keep the records public, as Nevada law already dictates. Now, if you can't tell which one is his out of the 58, how can you publish about any of the 58 without running the risk that you're going to publish the details about him? So this is a way to hamstring the release to the public of phony data About a phony case, another bullshit operation in Las Vegas, intended to bamboozle the American people is disgusting beyond words. As a caveat, it turns out email correspondence between the county coroner's office and investigative journalist John Cullen revealed the coroner may have had some type of heads up regarding the judge's ruling. In fact, Carney Public Communications spokesman Dan Cullen told Mr. Cullen last Thursday in an email that the coroner will not be releasing the autopsy records because an upcoming court hearing may change things. So here he's saying he already knows in advance In you know, there's collusion between the court and the coroner to conceal records that are already phony documents because they don't pertain to the actual death or, or autopsy report of any real victims because there weren't any. I mean, this is just outrageous. Now we have today. The stunning decision by the judge, all the evidence has to be released. Richard Scotty, Judge Orders, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department to release all records pertaining to the 1 October shooting. A wise decision, going to bring in compliance with the law. Here it turns out Stephen Paddock, this is brand new today, reveals a time of death at 1,200 hours the following day. He didn't even die on the first, but on the second. Here's what Mona Alexis Presley discovered, the crime map for the scene from 8 p.m. on the first 8 p.m. on the second, and there's not a single shooting covered for the one mile square area surrounding the, the concert area. Other disturbance, assault and battery, assault and battery, other disturbance, assault and battery, burglary, stored motor vehicle, burglary, malicious destruction, other disturbance, other disturbance, recovered motor vehicle, other disturbance, other robbery, because there was no shooting. So here we have the image that sums it up. Researcher can find anybody who died in Las Vegas massacre. I survived crowds on demand with a hole in her head, a hole in her throat. This is outrageous. This is absurd. This kind of deception by the, by the government of the American people has to come to an end. Las Vegas ought to put to an end permanently. Permanently. Unbelievable. Outrageous. If you don't share... By anger, you just don't understand what's going on. This is all fraudulent. This is all fake. Nobody died in Las Vegas. It was a movie. And think about it. What does MGM do? MGM makes movies. That's what they made. A made-for-TV production, a movie. We even have now a late release where you find a director entering the scene during the alleged shooting. to have them redo a second take. Redo a second take. This is all embarrassing, shocking, unbelievable. Again, makes me want to barf. This is what the United States has descended to—just the lies, just gutter, just sewage, raw sewage. And now you're going to put the head of the CIA, known liar John Brennan, on in the uh, NBC and CNN, NBC <coughs> and MSNBC. Get it direct from the CIA. No intermediary. You don't even need Rachel Mano now. You'll get it right from John Brennan. You don't even need Lawrence O'Donnell. you get it right from John Brennan. You don't even need Chris Matthews anymore. you get it straight from John Brennan. This is disgusting beyond belief. The United States is the biggest sewer in the world. Absolutely insulting. Absolutely insulting. Don't be plain. Don't be plain. This Las Vegas thing is just a monster scandal, and it's blowing up in their face, which is why they're taking down my videos where I lay it out and explain what's going on. They're taking them down. I'm going to get them up there, by God, I guarantee and You're going to know about it. You're going to be able to find it and learn the truth for yourself because you're not getting it from the mainstream media. It's disgusting. The State of the Union is beyond belief, beyond the pale. It's mind-boggling. It's incredible. It's a cesspool. It's a sewer of disinformation and propaganda.
2: Thanks for listening.